0: All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope, for Tuesday, September 11th. I'm your host, Terry Aranga, here with my guests, Mark Pulver and Robert Shostak. Mark Pulver, who certainly brings a real story of hope, is 54 years old and has autism. Robert Shostak, to give us more background, is Mark's cousin. Mark Pulver was a blue baby, and at age five, he had not yet exhibited normal communication skills. Doctors evaluating him at Johns Hopkins suggested he be institutionalized, but thankfully Mark's parents rejected the suggestion and began searching for help in other directions. Mark's book is called Living Life with Autism, The World Through My Eyes, and I'm so glad that he's here with us today to talk about it. Welcome, Mark and Robert.
2: Thank you. Thank you.
1: Well Mark let's start with you. Usually I ask about the take home message at the end of a show, but today we're going to start with your take home message at the beginning. What is it that you want people to know, to do or not to do? Why did you write your book?
2: Well, because people living with autism and Aspergers, I don't want them uh, to to give up hope. I want them to get uh, encourage and hopefully they have families that will encourage them that if they have that inner desire, that being, that that desire that drives them to want to achieve, they won't let any negative vibes or let any, any negative energy interfere with their hopes and, and dreams, that they can achieve anything they want and, and just because they have a disability does that not mean that it's a death sentence. They just have to take another road or another path to achieve the goals that they want to. They have that yearning desire within themselves. They have uh, hope. They need to just pull it. You know, uh, they need to focus on what they want in life and just find a way uh, to reach out and get it. We're all special. We are all here for a certain purpose: is to live out a dream and to live out of function. And this dream of, uh, of writing my book, I got inspired when I was in my counselor's office and I saw a book on, uh, Temple Grandin. I read the book and saw the movie and she had special to offer, something to offer to get a PhD. I had a unique story to tell. And, uh, basically, uh, what, what the story is, is that when I was, uh, uh, as you said, at eight years old, they wanted to institutionalize me. This is what where they had uh, said this is a story that beats the odds because my parents didn't want to give up on me. They took me to another doctor in Philadelphia called the Institute of the Achievement uh, for Human Potential, which a program was uh, was implemented me. Uh, for me, because I was a blue baby, I had oxygen deprivation, and what they did was I had certain exercises to do the, uh, that I did, which uh, regenerated new uh, blood cells, which uh, from that point in, I get slowly, I began to develop mentally.
1: Okay. Uh,
2: so let's,
1: uh, let's this is my Let's talk a, a little bit here, if we may, Mark. So you said that you were born a blue baby, and in fact, your book says that you were considered clinically dead. Is that correct?
2: That 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 is cl- that is uh, correct, ma'am. And this
1: gives this gives listeners an explanation. You know, autism is a diagnostic label, um, and it certainly shouldn't. Um, the value the human being we all have stuff going on with ourselves we have strengths. we have weaknesses we have medical conditions i could have a, be walking around with a medical condition you know for thirty years that nobody could see another person on the street as well so autism is a diagnostic label but it doesn't really tell us what's going on physiologically in your case you knew What happened physiologically? There was oxygen deprivation, and it's so hopeful that that you know that legitimate physiological cause that caused some challenges was able to be. um, You were able to overcome challenges that you had. You started to tell us about the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential. At, At the point that you went there. How old were you uh was that at a time when you still couldn't speak read and write?
2: Uh, no I started to speak when I was uh uh five but i just couldn't uh i didn't know how to f- function so- sh- uh scholastically in school i couldn't uh in- interact with other kids and had uh trouble with with family and understanding just about life what to do how to think how to act how to had to feel everything you know was just like a big blur until I went to this place in Philadelphia the Institute for the Achievement of Human Potential and that was when they for the the first 3 months you know I they be, I began to see uh progress I couldn't do certain things eat certain f- uh foods listen to music I was restricted to do a lot you know I had a 3 years uh hiatus. With a battery of exercises that I had to do every day on a timely basis, for instance, creeping for 20 minutes, crawling for 15 minutes, ex- uh, patterning with two people each on the side of me and one in the front of me, navigating my head and my legs and uh, arm, arms and legs, breathing through a mask uh, three times a day for a minute, mm-hmm. having a light shine in my eye, 10 times in each eye Ex- exercise like these. This is what I had to do on a three-year hiatus.
1: So, Mark, a lot of our listeners don't know about masking, and you've right. just mentioned it. Can you tell us more about
2: that? Yes, what masking is, you breathe through a mask for about uh, one minute, and what that does is that's supposed to generate... Uh, more oxygen uh through the blood you know by breathing and and through the through the lungs i don't know exactly how it works the physicians could probably tell you better from what i understand this helps the cardiovascular from what i understand i I could be wrong with the with with the lungs doing this uh three times a day it's supposed to improve uh you know, bring, I think, oxygen to the brain back and forth uh, to the blood a a little bit faster, something like that.
1: Just to let listeners know, um, I know of two people in the United States, and there's probably more, but I know of two people who know more about this, if listeners want to look them up, and that's Dr. Alan Sossin, who's in Irvine, California, S-O-S-I-N, and Sergeant Goodchild, who has um, active healing in one of the New England states uh G O O D C H I L D and Sarge also had some challenges when he was younger that he overcame. So um, your your mom had taken you to you know a, a reputable hospital and they didn't uh did they even look at what had happened at the, uh, at the birthing injury or the oxygen deprivation that had caused the deficits to occur, the, the brain damage and the challenges? Did they even look at that and attempt to figure out how to remediate that for you?
2: Yes, yeah, yes, yes, they did. This is how I was there for about a week and they did a lot of testing on me when I went to Philadelphia. And after about a week, they were able to implement a program that would be suitable uh, to my needs.
1: Which but now I, you're uh, talking about the Institute of for the Achievement I, of Human Potential.
2: That's the name of the place in Philadelphia.
1: Okay, so so Hopkins did not, but in Philadelphia, um, I think it's Wynwood, uh, uh, they believed that you could improve uh, they knew that oxygen deprivation would be detrimental. It resulted in a syndrome. There was a logical, legitimate reason. It resulted in a syndrome that ended up with the symptoms that went into you, uh, having, uh, an autism spectrum disorder. And they, uh, took appropriate measures to help, uh, to help you improve therapeutically.
2: Yes, that's correct.
1: Okay, tell us all about the exercises. You were talking about masking, and you were talking about having a light shined in your eyes. Tell us more about the exercises you did, creeping, crawling, uh, vision therapy. uh,
2: Okay. I would have to get on top of a table. We did this. I did this like three times a day where i lay on top of the table, two people on either side of me navigating my arms and legs. And one person at the head of me moving my head in conjunction. Oh, like, like, uh, like one of those, uh, uh, m- machines, one of those clocks. Each part moved exactly in synchronization. My grandparents were a big Im- inspirational part of that time. They came and helped pick me up from school and brought me back to help me with all these exercises. Then I did creeping for like 20 minutes and then crawling for like maybe 15 minutes. And I did this like each exercise three times a day on a timely basis. And then breathing through a mask for one minute like three times a day and twice having a light shine in my eyes ten times in in, in each eye. Ten times and then... I believe, uh, that was for my sight to be able to try to focus in one area, you know, because I had trouble looking at somebody in the eye. So I would just, my, I would just gaze and my attention span would just be all over the place. So that was to implement that part, you know, of my brain.
1: Wow. And, and I want to just caution listeners, it's really tempting to – it's natural to want to go out and help your child right away, but if we're talking about something like shining lights and such, mm, make sure you find out how to do it the right way, maybe con- contact the institutes and such, see a vision therapist. And you have other symptoms uh, insofar as lack of socialization, rocking, fears – obsessions, other symptoms of autism, but again, I want to get back to the point that there was a legitimate physiological reason, an insult of why these autistic symptoms occurred and that they were able to be addressed in an appropriate way that brought relief and remediation and success for you. So tell us about the other symptoms you had.
2: Okay, you mentioned rocking back and forth, the sporadic temper transoms, withdrawing from the teachers, withdrawing from students, wanting to go into a corner and just like not be able to sit, uh, sit still. I would just wander, my mind would just wander. I would just be all over the place. I would just basically have no comprehension of what was going on in school. I was constantly being, being, uh, sent to the principal's office and on a few occasions being sent home because I just basically did not know the meaning of 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 conduct. I just did not know how to conduct myself in a manner that I was supposed to conduct myself in. And I was on this lousy medicine called Riddleton and today a lot of the doctors are saying that Ritalin wasn't the medicine to give the thing about uh doctors doctors i feel you know they don't all always know you know what, what the right medicine is you know science and medicine it's a, it's a, it's a tricky thing sometimes you know sometimes medicine works and sometimes it doesn't unfortunately you know when you're playing with people's uh, lives you know sometimes it's a gamble whether or not the medicine you're administering is actually going uh, uh, to work in this case, I think the Ritalin uh, did more harm to me than good because I was more hyperactive after taking the Ritalin, and I've taken this for like uh, uh two years.
1: Well Mark, I really appreciate the insight that you're sharing, and i would I would uh, also say that it is particularly risky when it's being used as a band-aid and not using for uh, and not looking for the root cause and another good point that you made um, is that behavior your behavior your conduct was linked to this underlying physiological syndrome. So you had an insult, a physiological insult, and this physical thing affected your behavior. Behavior isn't just there in isolation. And so we need to look for the roots and we need to just not stick some prescription band-aid over it. So it's really great that your family helped you look for the roots. Let's transition over to talking about your family, and the people who helped you growing up. I know your cousin Robert Shostak is here, and he's known you your whole life. So uh, we can get some insights now from Robert and also talk about your parents. Okay. Whoever would like to, to share.
2: Well, I'm going to go ahead and say that uh, my mother, you know, when it came to, to finding the, the place where I would get, get get the help and the care that I needed, My mother basically, uh, uh, was in the helm as far as she was the nucleus and my inspiration to getting me to where the point that I was today, which getting me into the, into the rights, into the, into better schools from this public school. I was in special ed, then I was taken to, they suggested that I go into private schools instead of being in a classroom with 30 or 40, uh, Kids with just one teacher. I was in a class maybe with ten or fifteen students, and I was able to learn and do a little bit better. I still had I still had my problems, but uh, I was able to do a little bit uh, better. You know, my father helped too. You know, in a lot of different different ways. But mom was the one to really take the bull by the horns and find the doctors that I needed to go. You know. Uh, <laughs> Uh, met what it was, medical doctors, uh, doctors at the Institute in Philadelphia. Mom took the role, you know, and I'm sorry she can't be with with us today, but she was the guiding force behind my uh, achievement and my uh, goals that I had it, it achieved.
1: Yeah, I spoke with your mom and, you know, she seems vibrant, so, you know, and really good for her not giving up and you not giving up and her believing in you and, and not taking some doomsday words from a mainstream medical establishment as your prognosis. But Robert, what's your, on all this?
3: Well, I, uh, I think Mark has done a remarkable thing in, in producing the book that he has. And, um I think it's a, uh, it, it's a lesson for every parent now who has a, a child with a, an autism problem um, not to give up, to to do whatever they can to support the child and to use whatever the latest techniques are for learning and for giving the child the opportunities that they, they need to grow and to uh, become whatever it is that... Uh, they're destined to become. So, uh, I think, um, Mark, uh, Mark puts it very well. Uh, his mother was indeed his, his, the leader in this. And, uh, she, she just never gave up. And, uh, I think it's paid off.
1: And, again, there's no good reason for discrimination on the basis of a perceived disability. Um, You know, people out there who are going to work and seeming like they're living, um, you know, seamless lives, they could have uh, extra cells in their heart. I mean, there's a condition where there's an extra bundle of cells in people's hearts, and it can cause misfiring. Somebody could have a, a spinal condition that they don't know about for decades, we could all have stuff going on and we can't see it in the next person and we're not discriminating against those people there's no good reason to discriminate on the basis of a perceived disability what we do is we figure out what's going on with uh, a challenge everybody has strengths and weaknesses we uh... we uh... in people's strengths and we if somebody has a challenge a physiological challenge figure out what it is Help them fix it, and so it's just wonderful that your family believed in you this way, Mark, and you did too. Did really hard work and um,
2: yes, I t- take did. care
1: of those I w- things.
2: I wasn't going to be denied. I can tell you that right now.
1: <laughs> okay, you had a, a housekeeper Hattie that you wanted to mention too, in your book.
2: Yes, I d- yes I did. Uh, when I was small, both. uh at one time, both of my parents worked, so she uh, raised me she was a, uh, also was kind of a role model. She tried to teach me things and show me things she was a lot of, she was a lot of fun, especially when she said to me, "Child, go rest your nerves." No, she would know, but she was a good uh, person. She was the first housekeeper that I remembered uh, you know, that uh, I had, we had a lot of fun together. She would try to teach me certain uh things and just basically show me the right ways of how to live and how to do things.
1: It sounds, the feeling I get from what you're saying, Mark, is that she created an, an atmosphere of total acceptance. She accepted you. And something I'd like to share with listeners, you know... Uh, People, Parents who try to help their kids take some heat sometimes because other people will say, you know, just accept him as he is or just accept her as she is. Accepting our children and loving our children doesn't mean that we don't help our kids with their challenges. Parents of neurotypical kids send their kids off to piano lessons, softball, Harvard University, to make them the best that they can be. And parents of kids with a, a diagnostic label of autism should do no less. So it sounds like Hattie created that an atmosphere of acceptance for you just as you were while, you know, helping guide you in the way you, you should go.
2: Right, she did.
1: How did growing up with two older brothers help? Oh. Or not it, help?
2: Well, it was a little bit of a, it was a little bit, I guess, uh, maybe, uh, let me see how I, I felt like I was out of place because I didn't fit in to what they were doing. They were closer in age, uh, than I was when they would do things, even go outside and throw a, uh, ball or just do things in the house together. I wanted to always be a part of that, but I, I, I couldn't because I wasn't, uh, I wasn't in their age group, but uh, my brother uh, uh, Lance, well, he did help. He, he did help, you know, when it came for the exercises. He was there uh, for the three years. He helped with the patterning and anything that needed uh, to be done pertaining to what my need was. He, he I will say, he gave up his time uh, for me uh, and his friends and his social life so he could. Uh, be there at my time of, of, of need. And uh, my brother Jeff, we're very, very uh, close, uh, he, uh, he went off to school in 68, uh, in, in but we would talk like maybe once a week or once every uh, two weeks, and he would explain uh, different things uh, to me, teach me things, you know, different things. I learned a lot, lot from my brother.
1: So, and how was your teenage
2: life oh it was a, it was a little bit uh rocky. I was just getting uh, to the to the point in my teenage life where I really wanted to know what life was all about you know going out you know with the uh, with with the guys what uh drinking was like, but at the same time i didn't want to uh, Get into any trouble, and knock on wood. I didn't get into any trouble. I started experiencing uh, uh, girls. I started, I would say, at the age 14, 15. I started getting interested in girls, wanting to know what dating was like, et cetera, et cetera, and just basically living and being a teenager. It was, it was a, it was a little bit uh, rough when you go to peer pressure. Uh, a lot of them uh, drink heavy and do drugs. And uh, I decided I didn't need that. Uh, my father had a rule uh, about that. If you want to experiment with drugs, drinking, smoking, marijuana, my father had a, a an open-door policy. You want to do any of that, you bring your friends here and do it here in, in front of me. By doing that... Uh, we really didn't need it. It really wasn't a, no, a, a novelty, because once you're able to do something, you know, uh, so many times, uh, it really doesn't really uh, mean, mean anything. The thing is, you can't do it, that's when you want to do it. So, but my father had an always an open door policy for us uh, and, and uh, our friends. It's interesting,
1: the phenomena of rebellion, but that, we'll leave that for another show. Okay. Haven't got that one figured out. Um, did, were you, you were going to mainstream school, regular school, or private school?
2: In my earlier years, I did go to public schools, but I was in, uh, special ed. Then, in 1969, uh, 1970, I started going, uh, to private school. I went to two private schools, but I actually went to high to uh to Carl Gables High School, which is a public school, and I actually graduated and got my high high school diploma.
1: Well, good for you. Okay.
2: Mm-hmm. So I wasn't going it... to be denied of that either. You know, I you no, know, they were going to. Uh, I did take a couple special ed classes, but I decided. I wanted a high school diploma, mm-hmm. so I did whatever was necessary. So I got—I have a high school diploma now, plaque hanging up on my wall.
1: So in addition to the Institutes for the Achievement of Human Potential and the great support of your family, were there any other therapies that you felt helped you greatly?
2: Uh, yes, I do. Uh Going places with my mother, she would teach me things like when, when I was small, driving in the car, she would read certain signs to me, and then coming back uh, from wherever, I would read them out to her. She taught, helped teach me the uh, letters of the al- alphabet. She got flashcards for me, you know, for me to look numbers on uh, one side, numbers one side, uh, uh, letters, you know, of the alphabet. Like to take me to a museum and, and to the zoo, and I would learn all the names of the different uh, animals, even going to the circus, you know, the the acrobatics, going to uh, boat shows, just different things and different, you know, like like museums and, and anything Mother could think of uh, mm-hmm. to take me just, just to teach me and, and show me and just to get me educated a, a little bit
1: yeah and I would encourage parents not uh, to keep communicating with their kids um, no matter if their kids uh, if your kids can't verbalize back to you and also include those culturally enriching experiences um, just like any other kid does. Um, how was the work world? What kinds of uh, jobs did you do as an adult to this point?
2: Um, I started working when I was seventeen as a dishwasher at this fast food restaurant. And then I went into a short order order cook. I spent most of my majority of my life working in, in the food business. Worked in Burger King for twenty, owned one for uh for for like ten. It was a little bit uh, rough. But I learn I learned different things. I learned to manage and I was able to fit in the in the working world which was definitely uplifting for me because mm-hmm. then I felt I felt whole I felt like I could belong I could actually go out and work just like my father did and make something of myself mm-hmm. and to fit in to actually be a part of something and to bring a paycheck home
3: at mm-hmm. the end of
2: the week I really had something then to show for myself that was definitely one of the most uplifting things for me was that I was able to actually go out and work and not sit home in a room and just vegetate.
1: yeah, so it's really important for parents to um, see that their kids have uh, a micro enterprise or something in store for themselves, training in advance uh-huh. uh, for a vocation for Later
2: on. Right. You know, my father was an excellent role model, you know, observing for as long as I, I did until the time that he retired. He would get up every morning and go to work and to come home and he would provide everything us uh, uh, food, home, clothes, schooling, everything that we needed, he would provide for us. So that's one of the things that I got my inspirational role model from was, 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 was my father. that was a learning. Seeing that was definitely a learning experience. Dad didn't really actually take me and show me and do things like mom did, but I was able to watch and observe the way he did things. And that was enough for me as far as uh, his role in life uh, and what he did and how he he did it. I learned from watching him
1: parents, your kids are taking it in, even if they're not verbalizing it back to you or they're taking it in. So, Robert, tell us about the dynamics over at the Pulver House, and uh, tell us about how you and uh, Mark, uh, what you guys did together as Mark was getting older, adolescent, teenager, family holidays.
3: Well, we, um, we spent a lot of time together because in 1971... Uh, I moved with my family uh, to Miami, and we had much more contact with the Pulvers. Uh, Sybil is my first cousin, and uh, we were very close as children, and we were very happy to be close to each other now in the Miami area. So we did spend a lot of time together. We celebrated holidays, and uh, we we really had some good times, and of course... Uh, her boys were were much older at that time, and Mark was the one who was staying home and living with Sybil, so we had a, a, a lot of time together, and I got to learn uh, who Mark was and what he was, and I think during that time we, we established some kind of a bond between the two of us that uh, lasted for many, many years, so uh, that's... That's how we got together, actually. Now, as far as how we got to the point of writing a book, that's a kind of a funny story, because all of the time that I spent with Mark, um, I didn't see him as a uh, as a as a super intellectual. Uh, he was a great guy to be with, and we always had a lot of fun. But uh, his his talents didn't lie in the writing area. And uh, one day he approached me. We happened to be at a 90th birthday party for another of one of our cousins. And he came up to me and, and he said, "You know, cousin Bob," he said, "I, which is what he calls me all the time, cousin Bob." He says, "I I have something I want to ask you." And I said, "What is that?" He says, "I want to write the story of my life." And uh, for a second, I was taken back because I'd never seen anything that Mark had written before, and I wasn't aware that he could write. However, little did I know that his older brother, Jeff, had already taught him to use email, and he was able to write emails, although his um, spelling was a little suspect and... uh, the heavy fingers that he has on the keyboard always did not uh, type the correct letters. He was able to email. And at the time, uh, all I did was I said, Mark, if you want to write the story of your life, I think that's terrific. And he said, well, I don't know how to start it. Would you help me? And I said, Mark, okay. I'll help you all the way. Whatever you want to do, all you have to do is tell me what you want to do. And he said, I'll tell you what, uh, how would I start this? And I simply added, look, tell. first tell me about what it was like as far back as you can remember. He says, you know what, I'm going to write you an email. I said, great. Now, Mark had had a lot of Projects that he had proposed to me over the years, and always was excited by each project, but he had the habit of, of thinking about the project, but not really being able to follow through. So I, I you know, I was kind of doubtful that he'd actually send me an email with what he was going to write about the origins of his of his life. And the very, that very night when I got home, I had an email from Mark that was almost a full page long. And I said, oh my goodness, I said, this is incredible. He he can actually write, but uh, it was a bit like reading the James Joyce novel. It just started at the beginning and it went to the end without any punctuation. And uh, it was a little difficult at first to read, but I could figure it out. It wasn't that bad. And so I just simply said to him, That's wonderful. Why don't you send me another email that you can add to this and write in your own okay, in your own way just exactly how you felt about this or that or the other thing. And we continued this way. It was a technique that was just made for the two of us. And we used this back and forth over a period of, I would say, six months. And I believe, if my figures are correct, that Mark produced 72,000 words during that period of time. And I recorded everything that he wrote just exactly the way he wrote it.
1: And Mark does have something important to say, and this book is available on Amazon. Again, it's called Living Life with Autism, The World Through My Eyes by Mark Pulver. And we have a caller. Before we go to the caller, I just want to make sure that parents who are listening um, know that I appreciate that sometimes it's hard to incorporate kids who are exhibiting behaviors into activities um, you know like family gatherings and not to mention the insensitivity of family members that's possible in some families but you know somebody could say hey I can't even take my child to Walmart but there are things in the environment or that our kids are exposed to that can create these behaviors like if you go into Walmart or Kmart there could be fluorescent lights that are setting their off and there could be phenols and foods that are giving them allergic food reactions so if you're seeing behaviors look and find out if there's an underlying physiological cause for these behaviors, and then it could mitigate the behaviors, and you can start enjoying these family activities with your kids. And we're going to go to our caller. Uh, Do we have our caller on the line? You do. Okay. Can you introduce yourself?
0: Yes, Terry. My name is Pat O'Malley. Hi, Pat. Uh, How are you today?
1: I'm blessed. How are you?
0: Well, I am blessed as well. And I want to tell you part of my blessing is actually having Mark Pulver as a personal friend of mine. Mark and I became friends, I'm going to say, 12, 14 years ago uh, when a person that Mark was in business with, uh, and, and he came up to my home in Clearwater, Florida, And I met Mark, and when I met him, I knew there was something special about him. And believe me, Terry, I'm not talking about the autism. What I'm talking about is the joy of life that is in Mark's heart. I sensed it the day that I've met him, and every day that we've been together in these 12 or 13 years, I've never, ever seen him without that joy in his life. And, Mark, i got to tell you, I love you, buddy. I Thank love you. hearing you on the radio and you telling your story.
3: Thank and you, Pat. i got to tell that you, Terry, he's just a special made my person. Day.
1: Well, you know, I'm honored to, to know Mark. And, um, I appreciate your calling in and sharing your input with listeners too, Pat.
0: Well, you guys have a wonderful day. And Mark, keep going. You're an inspiration to so many people. And you are my lifelong friend. God bless you and God bless you, Terry. You too.
1: Thank, thank you, Pat. Thank you, Pat.
2: Thank you so much.
1: Mark, do you, do you live independently now? And if so, how long have you?
2: I do live independently and, uh, I've been living independently since 1986.
1: Mhm. And is that, has that been working out well?
2: Very, very well. Very well. So, I love my, I love my independence. I like the fact that I'm able to live on my own, uh, work, create an income, and just be a, 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 a human being. You know, just being an individual and just living and being a part of society, that's uh, really all all I want and all all that I need.
1: Yeah, and and, uh, something that should be an option for everybody. So what is your, I know I asked you for a take-home message at the beginning of the show, and I'm going to give you and Robert an opportunity for another take-home message now.
2: Okay, who would you like to start?
1: Whoever you'd like.
2: Okay. My message is parents, don't give up on your kids. If you see something wrong with them, investigate them. Take them to to, to doctors. Take them to physicians. And use whatever measures uh, that you have available, whatever resources that there are are today. My mother uh, was able to uh, take me. To doctors with the little resources that she had, and to find a place, there is hope out there. I suggest, with the kids on the uh, on, on the spectrum, parents take them to the, in, into, to the, to the uh, institute for the achie- uh, achievement of uh, human potential in F- Philadelphia. It worked wonders for me, and I'm sure that they have a program implementing uh, to your needs, so parents. So. Uh, and
1: where can people find you, Mark, and what's on your radar coming up? Any events or?
2: Okay, uh, my email is mwpul at yahoo.com. Okay, and, and
1: you have a website?
2: Yes, my website is, uh, with a c pulver P-U-L-V-R, uh, .com, either online or Amazon online, either at my website or Amazon.com, you may purchase my book.
1: And Robert?
2: Yes.
3: I guess hey. you want me to sum up some of my feelings about all of this and all I can say is that I, I am so happy to be a part of all of this. Uh, I, uh, I guess I, uh, I did doubt Mark at first. Uh, but right now, I don't doubt anything that he wants to do. I, I, I think that um, I think that autistic children, uh, of course, need the the kinds of help that we're we're now developing. Some of the new research is turning up all kinds of things that uh, can help children. But even the 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 adults today uh, who don't get as much attention as as the children uh are are hiding things inside of them. And I think that part of our job right now is to see if we can't open them up to whatever it is that it that lies within their potential. And if we can do that kind of thing, we'll be doing the kinds of things that uh, I think people need for people who cannot uh at first do the the things that they would really like to do. And uh, I think that's one of the most important things that uh, we can take away from this.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so I would encourage parents that even if our kids have challenges, that doesn't mean that they don't have a mission and a purpose. So as Mark said, don't give up.
2: We're all special people.
1: Yes. Yeah, so, well, Mark, I'm honored to know you. And thank you for contacting me, and thank you, Mark and Robert, for sharing your time today, and Pat O'Malley, who called in. So uh we hope we'll be hearing more from you in the future, Mark.
2: Okay, I sure hope so. Thank you so much. It was a privilege for me to be on the show with you. Thank You're you quite- also. I, I really enjoyed this.
1: You're quite welcome. We'd also like to thank this program's sponsors, OxyHealth and Superberries. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
0: Thank you for listening to Autism One, A Conversation of Hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, A Conversation of Hope with Terry Aranga.